Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 16. We are still working our way through this extended book of the Bible, Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. And the title of the sermon this morning is A Spiritual Checkup, A Look Into Our Spiritual Health. And this will actually be a series we will do this Sunday and next Sunday as well. And these verses, the verses that we will cover will be verses 12 through 20. So we will read those verses here this morning. 1 Corinthians 16, 12 through 20. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers But it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. And that they had have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these. And to every fellow worker and laborer, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Well, the day of the appointment came, and I got up, and I got dressed. I drove to the office That I had this appointment, I sat in the waiting room, finally was called back, and I had my annual physical exam. And the doctor poked and prodded, asking questions about my exercise or lack thereof. (laughs) I look down here because I, well, you can ask Ben afterwards. And he took my blood pressure and other vitals. And then he reported his findings about my, what he found about my health. And it's important to have these type of health appointments. They help us to be able to evaluate how we're doing physically. It's also important for us to have spiritual checkups. So this text this morning, 1 Corinthians 16, will enable us to have a a spiritual checkup. Checkup. In these verses, we will see a list of instructions that Paul gives to us, and really he's summarizing what he wants the how he wants the Corinthian church to live. Really, you could say it like this: like, what does a healthy church member look like? What does it look like to be a healthy Christian? In fact, notice these verbs before we get started into this. You can look in verse 13. We're going to see these are all present tense, ongoing, that is, imperatives. These are commands. Verse 13, 
be watchful. The next verb is stand firm. The next one is act like men. Be strong. Verse 14, do all in love. That's the next command. Go down to verse 16. You can see the scripture says be in submission. So that's the next verb we see. And then the last one is in verse 18, give recognition. And these we will be working through this week and next. But what I want to really point out to you is that these are imperatives for everyone. These are for children. These are for teens. These are for young and old men and women. Here the Holy Spirit is pointing really his finger at you. And he's asking you to consider the commands that really enable you to walk with the Lord. So let's do this. Let's pray together and let's ask God to search our heart and to examine us and really for the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the ways in which that we are falling short and are not accessing the grace of God that is available to us. Let's pray. As I pray, would you pray in your own heart? Lord, I pray that you will search us, that we will know who we truly are as you, as you know who we truly are. And Lord, I pray that you will lead us in continual repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, may we live in a way that honors and pleases you by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first question that we're going to ask this morning is, are you alert to spiritual danger? Are you alert to spiritual danger? And that question comes from our first command here in verse 13. Notice verse 13. He says, be watchful. That word watchful can be translated as be alert, be awake, be vigilant. It's kind of the idea that you wake up, that you are aware of the dangers around you, that you know that there's an enemy and you're very careful. It's really the same word that's used by Peter in 1 Peter 5, 8, where he warns us, be sober, be vigilant, be watchful, like be alert. That's that same word right there. Why? Why should we be alert? Because your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so Peter called the church to be alert. Paul called the church to be alert because church, we are in danger every day. We have two teenagers in our home who are now driving vehicles. And that is scary for a parent. And you can imagine every time they go out, what do we say to them? Be careful. Watch out. Be a defensive driver. You know, be alert. Don't get in your cell phone. Don't mess with the radio. Don't pick up the pen that falls on the ground, right? We're telling them that there's dangers on the road in Southern California. And, and they could get seriously hurt. In other words, there's a warning there that comes with the danger of the fact that there could be something that happens to them if they're not alert. And here in our text of scripture, we find something that actually is more dangerous, more dangerous than the, the freeways in Southern California. And it's an invisible danger. It's a danger spiritually we have to falling. Paul knew this. Peter knew this. But more than anyone else, Jesus Christ knew this. Every 
day of his life on earth. Satan had his demonic crosshairs targeted on Christ and just one thought of disobedience and it's all over. But Jesus was victorious every day. And why was Jesus victorious? Because he had the Holy Spirit. And because he was every day of his life on earth, he was alert. He was aware. In fact, it's interesting that this word is used by Jesus more than any other author in the New Testament. Thirteen times Jesus says in the Gospels to be alert. Three times in Revelation, he warns the church to be alert and to watch out. In fact, if you recall in Matthew, Jesus was with his disciples in the garden of Gethsemane. I mean, it was late at night. They had a long day. Jesus just preached a long message up in the upper room. These guys were tired. But what did Jesus tell these men? He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And then he looks at his disciples and he said, stay here and keep watch. That's the word. Be alert. And then the Bible says, going a little farther, he fell with his face on the ground. So he's in the dirt. He's crying out to his father, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken away from me. Yet not what I will, but what what you will. Then he returned to his disciples. And what are they doing? They're asleep. And he said, couldn't you keep watch? That's the word. Couldn't you be alert with me for just an hour? And he said, watch and pray. Be alert and pray that you don't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And in church, that's where it's at right there. See, because we think we're okay. I can go another day. I don't, I don't need to read my Bible. I don't need to pray. Like maybe I can skip church this Sunday because I really don't need the word. I'm okay. I've got enough. When you're not spiritually alert, you're on your way to stumbling and falling. A.W. Tozer said this, the neglected heart will soon be a heart overrun with worldly thoughts. The neglected life will soon be a moral chaos. So let me ask you this question. Are you spiritually asleep? When I think about our church, I sometimes just stand back during the week and look at the, what God's been able to provide for us. And sometimes I come in here and just look at these chairs and think about, you know, some of you sit in the same place every week. So I kind of think about you and the directory and I pray through the directory and, and I think, God has really given us a wonderful thing right now. And God is providing for us. There is a spirit of unity and love in our church. We have new believers, we have long-time believers, we have young people, we have old people, and we have, my perspective, we have wise elders, we have diligent deacons, we have uh, gifted pastoral assistants, we have many in the church who are serving. I mean, I look at our church and I pinch myself sometimes and I'm like, wow, this is really good. I think, honestly, sometimes I think, I think we're probably some of the best days of our church right now. But then also, I think, be alert, watch out, right? Because it's in those times where we're like, hey, everything's good. We're in the most 
danger. Satan, he desires to come in and destroy our homes and our church and our own lives. And so, church, we must be alert. That's why Paul told the elders in Ephesus, Acts 20, 31, be alert. That's that same word, be alert. That's really your job. Not just the elders, but really all of our jobs. Be alert, remembering that for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. And really right there, I think that encapsulates what it looks like to be alert. I mean, he spiritually cared for them. So much so that it, it brought tears to his eyes. I mean, I, here you have this care that results in the emotion. And, and what did he do? He admonished them. He built them up. It, it, it moved him to go to them. Do you care that much about each other in here? I mean, we should love each other so much that we pray for one another. And, and maybe even to the point, especially when we hear that someone has, has stepped into sin, they've chosen to go away from the Lord, that we actually cry. And so the scripture says that Paul had this heart like that. And then also he, I think, being alert also means that you trust the word of grace. That's what verse 32 says. I commend you to God. It's like I, I trust that God and his word of grace is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. And so, again, I just ask this question, are you spiritually alert? Now, now, what was the danger here for this church in Corinth? In other words, what was the particular issue that Satan wanted to come in and get an advantage of? Well, if you look down in verse number 12, you can see it. See, because Paul asked, or Paul gave this command, and before that, he actually spoke about the problem that was taking place in Corinth. Look at verse 12. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come. He will come when he has opportunity. And then notice he writes, be watchful. So what was the problem going on here? Well, in the, the city of Corinth, or the church of Corinth, I should say, the church of Corinth, there was the danger of division because you have individuals in the church who are grouping together. They're unifying together around personalities. Do, do you realize when there's division in the church that there's actually unity? The unity centers around sometimes people or sometimes around opinions and a person or an opinion gets championed, and there's a group of people that, that go around that, and that person, they unify, therefore, to the detriment of other people in the church. And that was what, what was taking place in this church. They had their little Apollos club. Apollos was an amazing teacher. He was gifted. And they all said, oh, we love Apollos. Get Apollos back here. We want to hear Apollos. Paul, he's a good guy. Apollos, he's awesome. And so they begin to, faction, begin to go into factions and divide up into groups. And so what you see here in verse 12 is, it, it, honestly, when you read it, you're like, I mean, I was like, what is this about? Like, why verse 12? Is this necessary? The, Apollos can't come right now, and so he's going to come when he can. 
why did you put this in a letter, Paul? You, you think about that? Like, there are people there that are from Corinth. They could just go back and tell everybody. Well, you need to understand the purpose of why Paul did this. Because Paul was demonstrating to them that he is not a rival with Apollos. It's not Paul versus Apollos. No, they were unified in the gospel. And he was calling, really, even by this, this testimony here, he was calling the church to be unified in this way. In fact, let's do this. Let's go back to Acts chapter 18, because I want to show this to you in the scripture here, how this, I guess, came about, the timeline for this apparent division in the church. I put on the screen up here a map, really to show you the proximity between Corinth and Ephesus. Paul wrote this letter to the uh, Corinthian church, and he wrote it from the city of Ephesus. And when he wrote the letter, it was probably around 57 AD. In Acts 18, the start of the church was around 52 AD. So this is about five years earlier that Paul started the church when he wrote 1 Corinthians. And so look down in verse number one. We're not going to go through the whole passage, but just hit a couple of highlights. Look at verse one. The scripture records that after this, Paul left Athens and then he went to Corinth. So he comes into Corinth there. He meets verse number two, this a man and woman named Aquila and Priscilla. He goes into business with them. They come to Christ. He come, goes into business making tents. Verse 3, you can see that they stayed together and they worked there. But let's, let's work down to verse number 8. Because there's all these different people that are in the church here in Corinth. Notice verse 8. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire house. And many of the Corinthians hearing, believed, and were baptized. So here you have the leader of the synagogue. He comes to Christ. Many people come to Christ. They're baptized. And then what happens in this text is that there's an uprising in the city. The Jews are jealous. They're envious of what's going on. And so they create an uprising. There's a riot. In fact, so much so that the, another leader of the synagogue is beaten. Look at verse 17. And they all, that's the mob, seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. Now, his name's important because in 1 Corinthians 1.1, he's writing the letter to the Corinthian church. So he's the scribe, probably, we don't know that for certain, but probably the scribe for Paul. And so at some point later on, this guy, Sosthenes, comes to Christ. But at this point, probably he's not a believer. But here's the point. The point is, for a year and a half, Paul ministered in Corinth, and then he left with Aquila and Priscilla. They sailed across the Aegean Sea to Ephesus. So look down at verse 19. You can notice that it says that there. They, that's Aquila and Priscilla and Paul, came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And then notice down in verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. So Paul sails away from Ephesus. Aquila and Priscilla stay in Ephesus. And into town comes this man who is schooled in the city of Alexandria. And this, the scriptures describe him as an eloquent man. Notice the description. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, Verse 25, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. And so what you see here in this text is this 
is this man who was schooled really in the the fountainhead of scholarship in Alexandria, uh, Egypt. He was well-trained in the Old Testament. He would have been well-trained in rhetoric and in the Greek poets like Homer and Plato. So this guy had this depth of knowledge. He was an amazing orator. And and so you think about both of those, that the fact that he was so intelligent, that also that he was such a good orator, I mean, Sometimes you have scholars, and that's, they're pretty incredible on their own. And sometimes you have people who can speak well. That's pretty incredible. But to have both, that's remarkable. And to have, on top of that, a person who actually believes in the Lord, all three of those. I mean, that's like the rock star of Christianity, or it's maybe not the best term, but you understand what I'm talking about. And that's how people viewed him. In fact, notice down in verse number 26, notice how he ministered. Verse 26, he began, this is Apollos, to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And so here they're, they're speaking to him about Christ and they explain from the scriptures who Christ is. Verse 27, and when he wished to cross to Achaia, that is Corinth, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him there. So they wrote a letter to the Corinthians and said, hey, welcome Apollos. And then notice his, the description of Apollos' ministry in Corinth. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And then verse 1 of chapter 19, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. Okay, so here's the whole point. Apollos went to Corinth, and he was amazing. Paul went back to Ephesus, and he ministered there. So they're in two separate cities. And so go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, because I want to show you this, then this division that took place when Paul was in Ephesus, and, and Apollos was in Corinth. Eventually, Apollos moved on. They really wanted Apollos to come back. I mean, he was this incredible speaker, and they're like, eh, Paul, yeah, let's get Apollos back. And so look down in 1 Corinthians 1, look at verse 1. Just want to point out to you here that Sosthenes is mentioned here. So here's this former ruler of the synagogue. So probably Sosthenes, as well as Chloe's people, look down in verse 11, you can see Chloe's people. And then at the very end of the book, we see uh, Stephanus and Fortuitus and um, Achaicus. I think I said that name right. But the, the point is you have this contingency, this group of people who come to Paul in Ephesus and they say, here's what's going on in the church. Here are some questions. So they knew the inside scoop. They knew what was happening. So notice in verse 11 what was happening. For it had been reported to me, Paul says, by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. And what was it about? Verse 12. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos. Or there's even people that say, I follow Cephas or Peter, or I follow Christ. That's the real spiritual people, by the way. And so really what's happening here is that they're dividing up the church into favorites. And I think probably center, the center of this is that really it was a debate about Apollos. And I don't think Apollos was uh, a part of this, but definitely was about Apollos. In fact, when you look through, if you do a search of 
how many times Apollos' name comes up. It's 10 times in the New Testament. And I counted six of those times that Paul identified that it was connected to some type of division in the Corinthian church. In fact, look over in chapter uh, 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Because think about Apollos. Here's this guy who's this amazing orator. Was Paul a good speaker? What do you think? Was Paul a good speaker? Well, let's look at verse number 3. Paul says, I was with you in weakness and in fear. That's, you notice the contrast between boldness of Apollos. And much trembling in my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. And so Paul is a contrast to Apollos. You can see that contrast here. And the Corinthian church had really fallen into the trap that eloquent, charismatic speakers equal a powerful church. There are people who go to churches because they say, I really like to listen to that person. Or that person's very eloquent. But here's here's the interesting thing, that powerful churches don't come because people are eloquent or intelligent or scholarly or whatever it is. Powerful churches are powerful because the Holy Spirit is at work. And the Holy Spirit works through the humble. He works through the the weak and the, the foolish. You can read the rest of that text to see that. So go over to 1 Corinthians 3. I just want to finish this off and just show you this, this jealousy, this strife. 1 Corinthians 3, notice verse number 3, 4. He says, you're still in the flesh. So if you think that way, if you, if you, if you create groups around people's opinions or around people, he says that's, that's immature. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants. They're just servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but who's the one who causes growth? It's God. If a church grows, if you grow, if people get saved, it's not because of the amazing charismatic speaker. It's because God is at work. And that's what he's saying here. Now, go back to 1 Corinthians 16. Because how does all this connect together? Well, the connection here is in verse number 12 of chapter 16, where Paul says, I actually want Apollos to come and preach again to you. You can kind of hear behind that maybe the assumption that the church has that, oh, I'm sure Paul is envious of Apollos and how good he is. Paul says, no, I actually want him to come and speak to you. In fact, if you look at verse number 12, notice those first few words. Now concerning our brother Apollos. And Paul used that throughout this book to tell the people or really to respond to the people about a question they had. So obviously they had a question about, is Apollos coming back? Paul, or maybe you, are you maybe preventing him from coming back? And Paul says, nope, I invited him. He actually doesn't want to come for whatever reason. That's why he put this in here. And and the warning here is the very next verse. He says, be watchful, be alert. And and I think it's connected in that he's telling the church, listen, church, watch out for those things that can come in and poison the church fellowship. Be careful about spiritual 
dangers. So here's a question. Are we as a church, are we spiritually alert? Next question. Are you standing firm in the faith? That's the next verb we see there. Be watchful, verse 13. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. To stand firm means you have taken a position and you're not going to be moved. It's like those centuries that you see if you go to Buckingham Palace. Has anyone ever been to England and you've seen Buckingham Palace and you saw those centuries with those big hats, silly hats? I've actually been there. And you know what those hats are made of? They're made out of, of bearskin, uh, bear um, bearskins, the bearskin caps. And they're actually so tall because it's supposed to make everyone afraid of them because they seem like they're so tall. But they just look ridiculous. But if you go up to them, You'll see they have a real gun, and there's real bullets in there. And if you try to go into Buckingham Palace, they will stop you. They're not just there for tourism. They actually are there to stand firm and make sure no one enters into that palace. And why is that? Because they made a vow. They made a commitment to protect the king. And this this is the idea here, is that you are standing firm in your commitment to God's word. That you are convinced that God's word is true. The gospel is your salvation. Christ died for you. He rose again. And that's my only hope. In fact, look back in 1 Corinthians 15.1. Because you might have thought now about that verse when I just said that. Look at 1 Corinthians 15.1. It's a chapter before. He says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. So at their conversion, they received the gospel in which you, what? What's the next word? Stand. You stand in it. In other words, you're convinced of it. You're not, you're remaining there. This isn't just a pray a prayer salvation. This is a, this is, I give my life to Christ and I am standing in the gospel. If you look down in 1 Corinthians 16, you can see in verse 13, he says, stand firm in what? In the faith. The faith is speaking about really the body of doctrine. It's really what we believe about who God is and what we believe about what God has done to save us, how God has worked in our life. And so he's saying here, stand firm in the faith. Implicit really to these statements of standing is the idea that there are forces that are pushing against you and are seeking to cause you to spiritually fall. What are those forces? What are those forces that are pushing against your soul so that you will spiritually fall over? Well, the scripture describes the axis of evil. It's the true axis of evil. It's Satan, it's your flesh, and it's the world. So let me give you an example. The world... Your flesh and the devil are pushing against your soul with the opinions of other people. You see, we desire affirmation from people. We long for people to like us. The world presents that if you do what we do, if you follow our way, if you turn from the Lord or pretend like you're not following the Lord, then you will receive uh, honor from us. Like we'll, You'll be accepted by us. Of course, Satan, he entices us with that desire to be accepted by people and to please people more than God. 
for the Corinthian church, they had this immense pressure upon them. In fact, they had a gentleman in their church who was immoral, openly immoral, and they still had him worshiping with them. He was still a church member. They fellowshiped with him. And why did they do that? Like, why didn't they call out his sin? Why didn't they call him to repentance? It's because nobody wants to be the bad guy, right? They didn't want to take a stand against his sin. It was easier to go along to get along. You may be at work or school or sometimes even your own family, and you feel that pressure. And it's easier to just pretend, right? Pretend that you're not a follower of Christ. Pretend that you're okay with whatever that, that evil is that's taking place. The scripture here is calling us to take a stand. Stand in the faith. Sometimes what pushes against us are the afflictions of life. Paul told the Thessalonian church that he, he prays that no one will be moved by these afflictions. In other words, when trials blow against our soul, when difficulties come, it's easy for us to be knocked down and ask the question, God, are you there? God, do you even care? Right? That's sometimes what affliction does to us. And what should we do when that happens? We need to stand up and look up and pray up. We really need to get in God's word and say, God, I trust who you are. I trust your promises. I'm not going to listen to the world. I'm not going to listen to my flesh. I'm not going to listen to the lies of Satan. I want to listen to you. And standing firm on his word. So we're to stand in the faith. And I think that also means then that we are committed to growing and knowing Christ. So this means a call back to the word to study the word, to listen to the word, to meditate on the word, to, to put our, our spiritual feet on the word of God. And the last question we're going to deal with this morning, are you stepping out in courage? Notice verse 13. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith. And the last one we're going to deal with, act like men. Now that is not politically correct. So what is this talking about? Well, Paul's command here is an instruction really to maturity. He's saying it's time for you, church, to grow up. And when you have individuals who are fighting over things like, I like Apollos better than Paul, grow up, right? There's more important things in the world and there's more important things in eternity than who your favorites are. In fact, look over in 1 Corinthians 14. Go to two chapters over. And they had a number of areas that they were immature in. And really, he went back to their thinking, how they thought. They thought like immature children. 1 Corinthians 14, look at verse 20. Brothers, do not be like, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In other words, grow up. So go back to 1 Corinthians 16. This carries then the idea of maturity, but also it carries the idea of courage. This is maturity that has strength and boldness. 
In our society, we have this really um, crazy idea that men and women are the same. And isn't it crazy that it's a novel idea that God created man and woman and they're different? I mean, that, that seems so, can you imagine telling that to someone like 100 years ago? They'd be like, obviously. But, but here, what we see is he's calling us to something that's unique. It's a, it's a, a courage that, that men really are to have. God designed two genders, male and female, and he designed them biologically and psychologically different so that they could really uh, fulfill the unique role that God gave to each one of them. And for men, one of the traits that God calls men to have is that of courage. Men are to have courage to protect and care for their family. Men need courage to ask a girl to marry them, right? Guys, remember that? You were shaking, right? You needed courage. It takes courage to make vows in marriage. It takes courage to keep vows in marriage. It takes courage to admit when you broke your marriage vows. Really, we need, we need a country full of men that have courage. Right? Courageous men make for strong militaries, a strong military that protects us. Courageous men provide loving homes that care for the weak. Courageous men give us healthy churches that shepherd souls. However, this text is not talking to just men. This is talking to all of us. He's saying all of us need to have this mature courage to do the right thing. Really, what does it mean to be a man? It means that you do the right thing even when it's hard. And God calls all of us to do that, whether you're a child or whether you're old or young or male or female, all of us are called to this courage to do the right thing. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about David. Remember the shepherd boy, David, probably a teenager at that time. And he goes out to the, the, the battlefield and he sees Goliath. And Goliath is this testosterone pumping giant, literally giant. And everyone's scared of him. And here's what Goliath said in 1 Samuel 17. Goliath said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And the next verse says, they were all afraid. So in other words, there's no men in Israel. <laughs> They're all scared. And he's like, give me a man. And what's interesting is this most unlikely shepherd boy sees all this and he doesn't necessarily think I'm going to be the man. He just steps up with courage. And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So here he is, he steps out with his, with his sling, with his rocks, with his God, and he incur, with courage trusts the Lord. And listen to the scripture. Then David said, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down, cut off your head. I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth 
may know that there's a God in Israel. That's courage, isn't it? And he stepped up, he trusted the Lord, and what did he say at the very end? For the battle is the Lord's. And the truth is, church, we need that type of courage that trusts the Lord, even when it's difficult and sometimes when it doesn't feel like it's going to work out. We need that courage to tell our neighbors the gospel. That neighbor you keep saying, I need to talk to them. I need to talk to them. It's been a year. It's been two years. It's been five years. It's been 10 years. You just need the courage from the God to tell them the gospel. We need that courage, fathers. Fathers, we need that courage when we are not caring for our family like we should. We might need the courage to gather our family together and say, I'm sorry that I have not been caring for you spiritually like I should. That takes courage. Women, you need courage to reach out to other ladies in friendship and say, I'm looking for someone to pray with and to grow in the Lord together. If you're struggling with a sin and you're not able to overcome it on your own in the grace of God, you need courage to ask for help. Husband and wife, some of you that are struggling with in your marriage and there's constant fighting and bickering. Maybe you're even on the edge right now of, I don't know what's going to happen in our future. It takes courage as a couple to come and sit down and talk with someone, to pray with them and ask for help. And you say, well, I'm afraid and that's the whole point. It takes courage to do what God has called us to do. And teens and children, let me just talk to you in here. Because some of you have done some things in your home and you know that you need to tell your mom and dad. And it takes courage to go to your mom or your dad and say, I want to tell you I did something, you don't know about it, but it was wrong, and I want to tell you it happened. We need courage. Courage is commanded by God, but also It's empowered by God. We're not going to go through the next couple commands, but the next one is to be strong, which really is the idea that we trust the Holy Spirit to give us strength. These are not commands that we are to do on our own strength. We go to the Lord. We say, God, I want to watch and be on alert, so help me. Help me to stand firm in your faith and give me the courage to do the right thing. Let's pray.